Welcome to Season 6, Episode 3 of Digital Learning Radio. In this season, we are focusing on caring enough to step in for equity, care enough to spend some time in self-work, care enough to get to know your students for who they are. When we're able to share our experiences, then that's only going to be for the benefit of the entire community. This week on the show, we have Kevin Moore, Instructional Specialist for Gifted Services at a North Texas school district. Welcome, Kevin. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Kevin, way! (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Kevin was Teacher of the Year in 2017 in his district, and he is a PhD student at UNT, a talented actor, and an avid reader. In today's episode, we want to step in with Kevin to talk a little bit about heterosexual or heteronormative privilege and about what it's like to be a gay educator. Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about your journey as an educator? My journey started, I guess, in 2001 when I was uh, living in Chicago. I moved to Chicago after college to be an actor, and that was fun. And then 9-11 happened, and suddenly doing things like I was doing didn't seem like I was contributing as much as I wanted to or felt like I needed to. And I made the decision to move back home and to go to UT Austin to get my teaching certification. So I did a year of coursework in student teaching, and I moved back to the Dallas area where I was lucky enough to get a job because I couldn't get one in Austin. And uh, I was at my school for 16, 17 years, and then moved into a new role in central office. Great. Okay, so Kevin, we hear that you're now a published author, uh, or it's coming out soon, is that correct? Soon to be published. Okay, and the article is titled, The Invisible Knapsack Revisited. We just want to hear a little bit about the article and um, where listeners will be able to read it, and tell us a little bit about that. In one of my courses last fall, uh, one of our assignments was to write a paper that we had to submit for publication. That's a big thing in the academic world. And so we were basically thrown into the deep end without a life jacket on how to navigate that process. And the class was a theory class. It was theory and education. And we were asked to submit to a practitioner journal instead of a more rigorous academic journal. But I decided to go somewhere in the middle I wanted to go more academic. And my original manuscript looked at this pretty landmark paper that was written 20 years ago uh, that dealt with this concept of the invisible knapsack, which was written by a white woman that delineated everyday commonplace things that happened in her life that she was able to enjoy because she was a white woman. And 20 years later, I thought it was important to look back at that from the perspective of a heterosexual person, and I'm not one. And so I had to sort of reframe the way that she wrote her paper with the way that I structured my paper. And it was really just looking at ways that we need to think about in education, how we perceive things uh, to be true, in our interactions or in situations that we don't always take into account the whole picture. And really, my original manuscript was probably a little more forceful than my final 
my final version. Some reviewers had some really great comments that I really valued and took to heart. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm a armchair activist, I guess, uh, as much as I can be, and really feel like it's important to have educators be in environments where they feel safe to come out if that is their choice. Because I understand that it's not everyone's choice to do that, and it's an individual decision. I'm probably of the mind that I want everyone to come out, but that's not my place to say or make that decision for other people. I had not heard the term heteronormative before Mm -hmm. as a white woman myself. I'm sure that's why I had not heard of that term. But um, can you talk a little bit about that that term? And has that been around a while and I've just been under another rock? Or You know, I did not go into my academic coursework thinking that I would ever be choosing this as a research path at all. It sort of emerged, and I realized that if I was going to be getting this degree, it needed to be in something that I really believed in, that I felt strongly about, and that I was interested in. And uh, so it was not something that was on my radar either. Now, since it was on my radar over the past couple of years, I definitely hear it more. You, you hear it discussed in you know media uh, that I consume. And so it's something that um, I think probably has been around for longer than we realize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just something that's being talked about more. And it's just the concept that our world is centered around heterosexuality. It's, it's the thing that is more common than not, and the way that most of our lives are centered around, the same way that our lives are sometimes centered around more dominant conceptions of race and of gender. Thanks. Well, and we've sh- and I've shared this story with Catherine and Nancy, but uh, my first year teaching, I was in staff development and I was with my team and one of the girls there was sharing about her weekend. And so she said, my husband. And so then every conversation I had with her afterwards, I always asked, oh, how are your husband? How are your kids? Well, and then a coworker who was close friends with her shared that she was actually gay and that her partner was a woman and I felt horrible. And I thought this, when I read your article and the piece about um, heteronormativity, I thought I, even if she wouldn't have said my husband, I would have assumed that it, she was married to a man. And just my assumptions in, you know, interactions with people, it's just, it's made me completely rethink. Like I, I don't need, I don't need to assume that this person is with a woman or with a man um, and really, you know, asking questions that are like, you know, how was your weekend? And not framing it in a, did you have fun with your husband or wife or, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend? But that was so eye-opening for me. And it really broke my heart that she could not share that with, with coworkers. You know, it's a default. And I don't, I, I, I don't think it's something that we should feel guilty about. I think that we do a lot of times the mm-hmm. same way that, you know, whenever you interact with anybody, you, you, say something and or feel like you put your foot in your mouth and it's just something that leads to more awareness Mm -hmm. and so i think when you're having any kinds of these conversations the more that you can be aware you're i mean we're all working on it right and i put my foot in my mouth all the time (laughs) and uh i i feel guilty about that too Mm -hmm. and i'm just trying to be on a process of growth and better understanding and i'm even doing that you know working on this work that I'm working on. I used, you know, terms in, in my original manuscript that my reviewers were like, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, I guess, you know, you're right. I can't, you can't use the term 
LGBTQ to talk about one person because one person isn't LGBTQ. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, little right. things like that that I'm like, well, that makes total sense. And it's just because I'm beginning this process of writing about this and thinking about this in a way that I've never had to articulate as much before. I'm learning things every day. Mm -hmm. I, I love that so much because our guest last week was Nicole Taylor. And she also said, as an African-American woman, we were kind of talking about race last week. And she was saying that she too is on a journey. And that's how we have described this podcast series is that we're all on a journey. So thank you for joining us yes. again. So happy to do it. Self-work. Yeah. Well, and then Nancy, going back to the vocabulary, heteronormative, we found a teacher on Twitter, Joe Tong, who is creating 100 days of vocabulary and gifts and animated um, using um, tech tool. And so I am studying to understand like, oh, this is what queer means. This is what gender um, identity and heteronormative. And so that's part of the self-work is making sure I'm studying the right words and vocabulary. And getting those words out into the open where they're not taboo. Mm -hmm. They're not bad words. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, offending anyone mm -hmm. by using them. You're not, you know, being too much of a disruption. I, you are being a disruption. That's what queering is. Mm -hmm. But that is what has to be done to get these terms, these words, and this understanding more out into the open. I think that we just, if we hide those words and if we hide these concepts mm -hmm. because we want to default to what's easy and what's known, then we're just doing ourselves a disservice and we're not going to grow in our profession or as a really as a world mm -hmm. right so Kevin I was so surprised to read that in your article that only 21 states in the District of Columbia offer employment protections based on sexual orientation and when I googled it Texas is not one of them oh no <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said too <laughs> yeah uh, this is this is an ongoing fight an ongoing struggle and nail-bitingly one that will be decided very, very soon nationwide. For really decades, the Congress has tried to pass what was previously known as the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, or ENDA, mm -hmm. and uh, was moved relatively recently to the Equality Act. And because of the partisan nature of our congressional politics, the Equality Act although it had been introduced, was never even brought to committee or brought up for a vote until last year when there was a Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. And so there was finally a hearing on the Equality Act, and the Equality Act passed in the House of Representatives. But because of partisan politics and a Republican-controlled Senate, then that bill has not been brought before the Senate. Mm -hmm. So the state remains where uh, states are able to determine their own practices, and uh, there are two Supreme Court cases that will be decided that will determine whether or not a person can legally be fired for being gay or transgender. Mm. And this was a big part of your article about um, gay educators coming out and then having to fear for their jobs. The Absolutely. Uh, one that's uh, quoted in the article, there was a article that was written, and I don't remember the, the author's name. Uh, but the title of it basically was you can marry your partner on Saturday mm -hmm. and be fired on Monday. And unfortunately, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. That mm -hmm. has stayed with me a I lot. Guess. So it sounds like a lot of us need to write our Congress people and senators to uh, encourage that to. If it's something uh, you believe in, that's that's one way to make it happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And you think of all of the people that had to put in hard work to make this happen and the sacrifices that they've had to make to, you know, to have equal to have equality and the fight and uh it's just why do we have to fight so hard for equal rights? You know, in in Texas especially we've had small victories. We've had small celebrations. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lawrence v. Texas and Obergefell in, in 2013 did a lot, but mm-hmm. it's it's something we should celebrate and we mm-hmm. have celebrated, but that doesn't mean that the fight is over. In mm-hmm. fact, it is far from over because there are new obstacles, new roadblocks that pop up every single day and you can't rest on the small victories. You right. acknowledge them and you use them as learning experiences to see what worked and what didn't, and you use those to inform the struggles that you still have coming up. So we've been reading um, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, and she talks about being wholehearted and being able to bring your whole self to work. And I've really been thinking about this in anticipation of this um, conversation because if you're in the closet, obviously you cannot bring your whole self to work with you. So can you talk a little bit about how heteronormative privilege affects an ability to be wholehearted? I, but her, Brene Brown was not, she was not a person that I had seen a lot and or read her stuff, but I did see her TED talk just a couple of weeks ago and when she talked about this wholeheartedness and it really did resonate with me a lot because so much of what she talks about is stuff that of course you're you're thinking like well you know duh (laughs) you can't it's it's all about um, being comfortable in your own skin and the ability to only you can only really be compassionate for others when you have compassion for yourself. And you can't love others until you love yourself. And the fear, which is a well-grounded fear that keeps so many people in the closet, is contributing to, you know, the inability to fully embrace yourself. And it's a uh, it's it's very sad to me. It makes me it makes me sad when I see people that are not able to be their authentic selves because there will always be something standing in their way, whether they realize it or not. I think a lot of times, you know, there's great teachers, great people who can't be themselves at work in education and elsewhere. But I think that when people are able to sort of shed that layer of a wall that stands between them and and their hearts and the people that they are interacting with and I think especially when you're interacting with young people then the veil is lifted and you're able to just even if it's deep down you're different you just are yeah well your journal article the first feeling I had was just sadness after reading that just thinking about how teachers could not be their true selves or after finally opening up and coming out of the closet where they felt more connected and they're like okay now I'm my true true self and the Ed Pride Alliance group this is the SDPLN group they're reading a book called One Teacher in Ten in the New Millennium 
LGBT educators speak out about what's gotten better and what hasn't. And again, all of these essays, they're talking about how educators have, because of their communities or because of the schools, they have to stay um, that part of their life. Like you were saying, Misty, you can't say this is my wife, mm -hmm. this is my partner, or this is my husband instead. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I've not done enough to support my colleagues. And Visibility is key. And I think that the more visible the LGBTQ community is, the easier it's going to be for people mm. to be able to acknowledge their defaults when they are making them mm -hmm. and the effects that little and big things can do. Everything from a librarian ordering books for their library, mm -hmm. everything for, um, you know, making sure that what are commonplace school practices like dances and um, dress up days that you have for Red Ribbon Week, mm -hmm. how those things can sometimes contribute to really damaging heteronormative practices that are done in the name of tradition. And that tradition is, is great, but the way that the, some of those things are framed can have a huge, huge impact on a significant amount of your student population, mm -hmm. whether you realize it or not, because it's fun and so many people are into it and it's been done for such a long time. But there's kids in your schools that are really affected by that. I think we're starting to see that some of those kids are speaking up about it. They're getting more involved because they are more involved. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the upsides to our connected world is that, you know, kids, even in areas that don't have, you know, they're not in, a, in an urban area where they have access to diverse voices, they're able to find those diverse voices elsewhere. And I think that is fantastic. Unfortunately, that means they're, they might be in communities that aren't so embracing of what they have to say, but I think that you're finding that some people are having a lot more confidence and empowerment to say the things that aren't usually said. Mm -hmm. Well, and this kind of leads into our next question, and you've alluded to a little bit, but um, what are some things that a straight educator could do to step in and address this heteronormative culture or to embrace our LGBTQ um, educators or students? Don't be afraid to talk about it. Mm -hmm. If a person is that you work with is being open with you, then don't feel like it's weird to talk about it. To them, it's normal. They felt comfortable and safe enough with you to share about their lives. I was able to do that. I got married two years ago, and I was able to invite coworkers to my wedding. Mm -hmm. I was able to you know, put a framed photograph of my husband and I walking down the aisle on my desk mm -hmm. where students could see it and parents could see it and my bosses could see it. That was for me. That was my choice because I, it was important enough to me. So if my, my straight coworkers, you know, felt comfortable enough because I felt comfortable enough. But I think what straight educators can do is to meet their peers where they are and you know not be pushy about it not treat it as an abnormal thing 
but also just sort of that that silent alliance is okay too mm-hmm. and uh, just being being there for them and knowing that even if it is something that's unsaid or unshared knowing that they are supported as a person as an educator because if they aren't supported if they don't feel like they're supported professionally then they're not going to try to do anything that would weaken their ground personally mm-hmm. it all goes it, back to the relationship absolutely. you know like mm-hmm. i think it's easy for some people to you know aggregate a certain population but if you know someone individually and personally, it's a lot harder to mm-hmm. have an opinion about a group of people. So, And the, the social-emotional lives of our students is something that is talked about a lot and for great reason. And so many great things are happening in that area. And the social-emotional lives of teachers is really something that is needing to be addressed more. It's starting mm-hmm. to be, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it, we're realizing that, you know, we're people too. Mm-hmm. And we can't be there to help our kids grow unless we are feeling healthy about who we are. And it's a community effort. I mean, teachers sometimes feel like they're on this island and that is, or I guess, silo. I hear that word a lot now. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, when we're able to share our experiences, then that's only going to be for the benefit of the entire community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I loved one of your quotes. It says, the presence of the photograph serves as a statement that my same-sex marriage is as deserving as those of uh, my opposite-sex colleagues. And you also talked about heterosexual privilege. And um, that's something that I, I had never thought about, even as simple as me having photos of my family, you know, where others feel like they can't share those. And so... Well, two I years ago, it got that. Stacey Bailey in Mansfield ISD. Uh-huh. It got that, her suspended. Right. Yeah. And that's... That is, you know... Heartbreaking. It's uh-huh. heartbreaking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's... There, I don't know the full context. I don't know the full story, but the reported events are enough for me to say that if this were a female teacher showing a photo to her elementary school class of she and her husband mm-hmm. in their Halloween costumes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. then nothing else would have been said right. about that. Right. In the article, I talk about uh, a teacher in Illinois who had flowers sent to him mm-hmm. from his same-sex partner and told his class that. And I don't think too many people would argue that if it was from a girlfriend, mm-hmm. it would have been treated in the same way. Mm-hmm. I think that there can be a double standard. And I think that there that comes out of uh, fear. It comes out of ignorance. It comes from maybe community standards that are based on fear and ignorance. And that's why this issue isn't easy, Mm -hmm. is because there are so many factors in play because it is so unsafe for so many people, uh, either legally or not just legally. It's dangerous Mm -hmm. in a lot of places, especially for some segments of the LGBTQ community. I mean, just we live in Dallas where there's been, are we up to, I mean, um, I mean, we're in the high teens now of transgender murders. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Well, and I worked um, 
at a campus where the counselor came during a staff meeting and she had a conversation about a student who was transgender and that we needed to recognize um, that student and the some of my coworkers, what they were saying, like, I, this is ridiculous. What, you know, why are we talking about this? And I, I was disgusted. I mean, it's like, what, what about you? You are an educator who, are, who is working with children above all else. Um, it is our job to care for the children, I think, above, above all else. Um, so how, what are some conditions that would make it um, more likely that a gay educator would be willing to come out and maybe even change the culture of the school to where not only do they accept you, um, but they accept children as well? I think you have to look at the community that you're in. Sometimes things might surprise you. I would say that my school community is on the more conservative side. I think it's probably less conservative now than it was when I started, but still on the conservative side. But districts have anti-discrimination policies, some of them. And I think that's one place to start is, is there something in writing where you work that says they're not going to discriminate in hiring practices on things like sexual orientation? And some of those districts are gonna have those things and some of them are not. And it would likely be a lot more risky mm-hmm. to be out in a district that didn't have that protection in writing, in policy. I think that those things don't come about, though, unless there's some kind of argument for it. And this mm-hmm. is, it's very scary. I wasn't out when I first started. Mm-hmm. I never would have been. I wasn't out for, you know, a portion of my life that. I could have been, but mm-hmm. wasn't for my own reasons. So it's just such a personal and tenuous struggle because the struggle that goes on inside people happens for lots of different reasons. And when they make that choice to be open, mm-hmm. even with some, you know, the, you might choose to be open with some people that you work with because you consider them friends outside of work. Mm -hmm. But there's a big jump between that and being open with your administrators or especially being open with students or with parents because we live in a society where you see so many, if you're doing a a pro-con analysis, there's a lot more that you believe you stand to lose than you stand to gain. Mm And I just want us to get to a point where we're able to see so many more benefits from the relationships we're able to form, from awareness we're able to grow, rather than living in fear. And I know that's very, very easy for me to say. And I feel, I feel, I, I mean, I feel a little guilty that I am, that I come from a place where I feel comfortable enough to do that. And that's a combination of factors. I think that that is partly my journey as an out educator, that I feel comfortable enough with who I am to be able to do that. I feel fortunate to work in an environment where I feel like I'm valued professionally and personally. And I feel like that 
I was a good teacher. And I felt like that came first for me. And that if anybody ever tried to say anything to me about my personal life or my identity, I would just say, what am I, what am I not doing? Mm -hmm. Am I, what am I, am I not serving your kids? Am I not teaching the standards? Am I not growing them in their intellectual inquiry process? All of those things that we try to do. Am I, so what does it matter? Mm -hmm. Whose picture's on my desk? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does it matter? Well, and talking about the standards as well, um, you you talked a little bit about the curriculum in your article in Walt Whitman and um, how he was a he he was bisexual, and I I never knew that, and I love Walt Whitman, and I thought about how important it is to teach the context and his perspective, and how could you truly understand his work if you didn't know that? Um, and teaching tolerance has a they have curriculum. Um, that educators could use to help them and they also have a podcast called queer america that is amazing i've listened to um, a few episodes already but um i think educators need to know these, these these are things that they need to know and you know how can we share this with educators how can we help them become more aware and let them know that this is important this podcast, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Share it with your friends. That's right. Sure. Well, I think so much is starting to be done on the curriculum side. We have two states now that have added uh, gay history standards to their state standards. Oh, Cal really? California mm -hmm. has for several years, and Illinois just passed theirs earlier this year or last year. So it's coming. It will be a small scale process for right. sure to have it mm -hmm. something that's actually written in in terms of you know every student in the state and things are going to have to start appearing in textbooks about the gay civil rights struggle but we weren't always teaching the the black civil rights struggle we weren't always mm -hmm. teaching women's liberation movements in our schools and it happens like any movement it happens slowly and it happens with groups of people, individuals that are willing to push the boundaries within what is right. I wouldn't say that, you know, you should just go rogue and start teaching about the sex lives of every person you can work into your, right. your lecture on American poetry. Well, and that's what I loved about the Teaching Tolerance podcast. It was, it provided a good outline of things they could teach um, that were historically accurate. Sure, I mean, because, I mean, all of these people, we study all these time periods, they have, I mean, it's a part of their history. You know, it's mm -hmm. a part of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so why is it wrong to do that? Why is it okay to talk about, you know, Diego Rivera's relationship with Frida Kahlo, but you're not gonna be talking about, you know, Jasper John's relationships or Walt Whitman's relationships. Why is that, why is that taboo? Why is that mm -hmm. bad? And if people are saying that it is, then that's maybe something that they need to think about mm -hmm. more than we need to think about it. Right. Last week we talked to um, Nicole about the importance of kids being able to see themselves in the adults in their schools. And, you know, there are some schools that are making good strides, um, like racially and maybe religiously. 
um, with ha- having those role models so that kids have something to say, hey, maybe I could be that. So what would be something that would um, be beneficial or would um, lend itself to just letting your kids see you and to see other people who are going to be supportive of them if they themselves are not gay as teachers? It's it's different with being gay than being, you know, a racially diverse. Yeah, or Muslim or something, yeah, yeah right. with a yeah. headscarf. Right. So, because um, it's it's something that you you can hide if you choose to, mm-hmm. and so I think that uh, what you might not be comfortable to, you know, be shouting it from the rooftops. But you can do things like if you see a, a kid that's reading a young adult novel that you know is a gay YA book, you can have a conversation with them about that. You're talking about the book. You're not, you know, necessarily going to be outing yourselves to them, but you want to see, you want to honor what they're doing. I mean, you know, you know mm-hmm. they're that they're reading that book, mm-hmm. and they might be gay, they might not be, but they're reading it. And, and you, yay for reading books. Yay for <laughs> reading books. We're never, we're never going to say don't do that. And uh, so, I, I mean, I would always do that. I mean, I talk about books with kids all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's cool to to see a kid reading. You know, there's a lot of gay YA out right now. And more is coming. And it's it kind of expanding in its scope. So I think that when you're able to engage with kids, when you see them exploring other voices I think you need to encourage that that's something that all educators can do is to engage with them about that I mean they're carrying around that book they're not hiding it in their backpack they're carrying around with them they're reading it during class if you if you see them you know holding hands with somebody that happens now in schools you don't have to like talk to them about it but you just have to treat it the same way that you would treat any other you know pda pda well Well. holding let's stick to holding hands (laughs) um and and just monitoring if a if a student sees an adult that is being closeted then they're thinking to themselves i have to be that way too maybe or this person who is in this really important position of being my teacher, I, I think, you know, the kids are very perceptive. Mm-hmm. And and so you want to, you're, they probably don't have either any gay teachers or there's maybe just a small handful in their building, if any. And they might not be out, but the kids are probably picking up on something because kids do. And you need to take that as a responsibility, I think. You don't want to put yourself into a position where you are sending wrong messages, whatever those messages might be. And I think it's as just as much as, as heterosexual teachers need to be more mindful of maybe the way that they phrase things or the questions they ask or don't ask, I think that gay teachers need to be just as mindful about the way that they frame things. 
because uh, the messages we send carry a lot of weight because they are coming from fewer voices. Mm. Beautiful. Well, is there anything that we did not get to ask you or anything else <laughs> that you would like to share? And... I just hope that, I hope it's coming through that this is such an individual process and it is not going to work for any two people the same way. It's not going to work for any two teachers the same way. And the, the world that we're living in is scary. I think that it holds a lot of promise. And it's going to be up to all of us as we're stepping in to understand the ability we have to make change. But we need to be mindful about that change. We can't jump into this wanting to make waves. We can't disrupt the system just because we want to be disruptive, because we want to burn it to the ground. That's not what this is about, because this is about kids, and we need to respect them. We need to respect ourselves so we can respect them and know that they are going to go forward after they leave us and they're the ones we're gonna be trusting. And what are the messages that we want to leave them with so we make sure that we're entrusting our world to the right people who have been armed with the right tools. And we have a big role to play and it's not something we should take lightly. <laughs> okay. Um, this season, we are inspired by one of my Angelo's quotes. Do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. So thank you very much, Kevin. You thank have, you so much. You have inspired us and you're motivating us to do better. Thank you. If others want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you or where can we find your soon-to-be-published journal article? Publishing is the slowest process ever, I have uh. discovered. Uh, it's going to be in a journal called Multicultural Perspectives, which is put out by the National Association of Multicultural Education. I don't know when, oh. but it's in the – I should be getting proofs soon. I don't know when the, when the final uh, date will be. I, I, I have tens of Twitter followers, I okay. think, and, <laughs> at Mr. Moore Geo, where you can just search my name, Kevin Moore, and I guess it pops up that way, too. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Great. So. Okay. All right. Thank you all for joining us today. We hope you will continue these conversations with a colleague, share this episode with a friend, and reflect on your own beliefs. Continue to diversify your feed, explore the works shared, and check out the show notes for additional resources we refer to today. If you want to continue the conversations or if you have additional questions or feedback, find us on Twitter at DigLearnRadio. So once again, thank you so much, Kevin. We really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.